I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to do it. No. I, I, it's great to, great to be uh, speaking today. We are, um, I hope you're enjoying uh, and being helped by John's gospel as much as Sue and I are. Oh, well. um, last week, we were um, advised by our small group leader, Mark, who's doing a fabulous job. We love small groups, don't we? And uh, he said, why don't you look at the John's Gospel on DVD, you can get it on YouTube, with Christopher Plummer, the actor, who, is it behind his, oh, yeah, okay, um, he narrates, it takes about just under three hours, and all he does, he just reads John's Gospel, and the acting's great, there's no, there's no faff, nothing else, and he just reads it, and we, we're sitting there under our blankets, just not have the heating on, and we just watched it, you know, and it was just so good to let this, this, the scripture and the words of Jesus just be in our living room and it just, just we, we saw things didn't we Sue that we, we, we missed before and I do encourage you to do that the only thing is you get on YouTube you get the adverts don't you, you have to skip so that's a bit of a, a downer but really worth it just to sit with Jesus and hear his words for three hours oh Lord please help me today I'm excited by today and I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll help us to really grasp, really grasp what Jesus is saying and modelling in this chapter 13 of John. So we can walk in the same manner as he walked, Lord, and see your kingdom come. Okay, let's read it. John 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father, for he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and he would return to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robe, wrapped a towel round his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, did you understand what I was doing? You called me teacher and Lord, and you were right. Because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And I tell you the truth. 
Slaves are no greater than their master, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know that the ones I've chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to ask him, um, ask him who's he talking about. So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. When Jesus, Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others knew at table what Jesus meant, since Judas was their treasurer. And some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going into the night. And that is such a sad phrase, going into the night. Today we're going to be zoning on the highest form of love in our interpersonal relationships, especially in church life together, as Jesus' disciples. And how could Jesus so demonstrate his love in such a humble way, yet powerfully. How could Jesus do what we've just heard that he did to these 12 disciples, still included in Judas? How could he do that? Well, the, the answer there is at the beginning, because it's all about his identity. He could serve in such a, a humble, <coughs> loving way, because he was secure in his identity. You see, Jesus knew who he was, he knew where he came from, he, he, was, he was a son of his father. His identity was rooted in his relationship with the father. And not only knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, back to the father. And you've got to know before you go. You have to know before you go, because one day you will go, all of you. It's the ultimate statistic. And if you're here today and you don't know that you can have eternal life and that death isn't the end, oh, we, this is great news. This is, this is the place to be to hear about Jesus, how he can save us from our sins and overcome death. That we, the death isn't the end. So Jesus knew where he was coming from and he knew where he was going. That is a core basis for identity that enables you to serve. So Jesus, he knew where he was from, he knew where he was going, and therefore he got up from the table because he saw a need. He wrapped himself in a towel, in his garment, and took up a towel and he served. 
You see, he wasn't looking to be loved and validated by those he served. He could serve because he knew he was and because he knew he was loved. That's a, it's an important point. The root of serving is because we know we're loved. Not, we're not looking for love. We're not looking to be accepted because Jesus knew that he was accepted. Therefore, he could serve in such a profound and humble way. And that's why freedom in Christ is such a good course to run, because it, it, it keeps us being rooted in our true identity as followers. And if you've not been on freedom in Christ, if you don't know about freedom in Christ, come and talk to some of the people who you've spotted um, this morning at the front. We come to Judas, because I've never heard anybody speak about Judas. Has anybody else? Perhaps you haven't. Because we, we never want to speak about Judas, and I'm only going to refer to it Briefly, because if I try to explain to you um, all, the, all the theological stuff going on in, in Judas and about him, we'll be here till tomorrow. But boiling it down, excuse me a sec. Was he was really a, a full-blown narcissist. It was all about Judas. It was all about him. I think he got disillusioned because he couldn't be number one, and he sold Jesus out because he wanted affirmation. So when he went to the chief priests, and, and, and they said, oh, I can show you where Jesus is. And they gave him money. I think he was very greedy man. He was very selfish like that. And when he led, he went, I know where Jesus will be in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was at the head of the crowd, the head of the soldiers, the cohort. And that moment was his moment. That moment when he was a centre of attention because it, it, narcissism, it brings you to that moment where you've always knew you ought to be leading. You ought to be the one. And Judas, the problem with narcissism, narcissistic behaviour, is that it inflates your, a sense of your own importance. There's a deep need for excessive attention, admiration. And it can be in troubled relationships as well. But there's a lack, in Judas's life, there was a lack of empathy for others. If you think about it, when um, that woman poured the perfume on Jesus' feet, and she washed her feet, his, she wiped his feet with her hair, and he, was, he wasn't saying, oh, this is amazing. He said, that money could have been, that perfume could have been set, set, sold and given to the poor. Well, he was holding the coffers. <laughs> it was all about him and not about Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus was never narcissistic. He just wasn't. He couldn't, because of who he was. Because of God is not narcissistic. God doesn't need to be worshipped, okay, because he's insecure. He's God, so he's worshipped. You see, the truth is, if we're really honest, there's a bit of a narcissism in each of us. We're on that journey, aren't we? Uh, Sue and I, um, it was such a joy. We went to a James Taylor concert. Some of you should know who James Taylor is. Most of you don't, apparently. But we went to the Brighton Conference Centre, and Sue just had a first round of chemo. And uh, we were there in the gods, and, and we're just loving it. And Sue, I just saw her, I thought, this is, this is great. I thought, why don't we put the picture and put it up on Sue's Facebook just to say, look, 
you can still enjoy life with chemo. You know what I'm saying? It was just important to us, so we clicked like that. And it, it was pretty good, actually. Uh, actually, we got somebody else to do it for us. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you do your hair up, don't you? And uh, straighten everything up. And I came home, and uh, this thought came to my mind the next day. I wonder how many likes we've got. Oh! And I, I said to Sue, I wonder, check how many likes. And at that moment, I felt, I did feel, sense the Holy Spirit saying, don't go down this route. Don't go down this route. There's no need to look for likes when you can be loved. There's no need to look for followers when you can follow. And thank God, it, thank God it stopped there. Social media can suck you in. Don't, get, don't find your identity in that behaviour. Please do not, because you've got it in Christ. Christ is, my, Christ is my media. Do you know what I'm saying about that? Yeah? You see, what Jesus was about to share with them dismantles any narcissistic behaviour and mindset that might be in them. See, Judas could not have handled what was going to happen anyway. He would not be able to compute that, that Jesus could wash feet. That was out of his zone. He came to be served, not to serve. But Jesus said he came to serve, not to be served. Not to ser be served, but to serve. That's, that's our God. And so... In verse 31, let's just carry on reading to verse 31 now. Because Judas, it's a bit like Elvis. Elvis has left the building. Judas has left the building. Okay. And it shifts. There's a paradigm shift taking place. And Jesus knew there was a paradigm shift taking place in this very moment when he's got the 11 with him who were going to be the future of the kingdom of God through the church. 11 people. Okay. There's no mention at this time, on this occasion, where the, there was women as well in the group that followed. There was Susanna and Joanna, Martha, Mary, and others. But it, now, at this moment, it was just these 12 minus 1. And he said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. This was a, a paradigm shift, which we are now the beneficiaries of. So let's just read verse 30, 31 to 35. As soon as Judas left the room, the time had come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do at once, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, and you can't find me where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. He's speaking about you as well, because in this old discourse, he said, I'm not only praying for this 11, I'm praying for all those who will believe in my name. So we, we can be included in this, yeah? I'm giving you this new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That was a paradigm shift. 
I wonder in that moment when Jesus, they were sitting there or lying there, whatever, I don't know. But he knelt down and washed their feet. Because that's what you did. You, that was a custom. You'd have your feet washed and dried when you were together in that sort of atmosphere. And it was a special evening as well because of the Last Supper. I wonder whether Philip, I mean, he was going to have some problems with what Jesus was going to say in a, in, in a little while when Jesus, he said to Jesus, um, Philip, um, Jesus shows the Father. And Philip said, anybody who's seen the Father has seen me. But that was a few minutes' time. Here was Jesus. He's seen me as seen the Father. Was washing Philip's feet. I wonder if the other disciples were thinking, you know, why didn't I wash the feet? Why didn't I take the opportunity for me to get up? Ah, oh, that would have been an opportunity to serve. To our profile. To be certain. Why didn't Peter? Why didn't Peter? He was going to be the, you know, upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build the church. Why didn't John, the disciple whom Jesus loved? We only know it was the one that Jesus loved, because the disciple Jesus, uh, the disciple John told everybody that he was the one that Jesus loved. Why didn't John get up and see the need? Because they, I guess, they were so in that zone, we're, we're, we're special. We're the 11 chosen ones. Judas is gone. It's important that we, you know, we're going we're to lead. Perhaps they thought, well, on this occasion, women aren't there. The women would, you know, they would minister to the needs of the Jesus and the disciples. Perhaps they'd expect, I don't know. I don't know that. Perhaps Jesus knew about that. So he said, we're just going to get these guys together because we're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with it. And so Jesus himself saw a need and washed their feet. It's amazing how you take things for granted in relationships. Um, when Sue was in uh, St. Thomas's, and uh, uh, pretty tough that first week, wanted to go. And uh, travel up every day on the train to see her. There was one moment I was sitting on the loo and ran out of toilet paper. And I thought, there's no toilet, there's not a spare roll. And I thought, where's the, where's the toilet paper kept? Because it, it always magically appears on the shelf in the loo and I've never ever thought about it before in my married life. Don't go, let, don't let your imagination go too far here. But I found where they were. I hunted all around and I found them under the stairs. And that's where they've always been kept. But I got used to being served. But when the need arose, oh, do you know what I'm saying in that? Now, I could say, well, I washed the, I cleaned the oven out for two hours last week. I'm just polishing my halo. But that, that's, a, that's an important thing. Now, cleaning the oven out is a big deal. But putting the loo paper out, that's not important. It is important. Everything's important, isn't it? When we're serving one another. So thank you, sweetheart. That's one more thing I've learned. <laughs> it's just, just true. This is how, you know, we're discovering marriage. 
Oh, you see, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 wrote this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And it goes on and on. It protects, always trusts, always hopes. You see, as Bonnie said, next week we will be celebrating 20 years at Gateway. And I trust today will just be another brick in the foundation for the next 20 years. Because this is what we are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And this serving, this serving is the basis how we build. Because that's what Jesus said. This is how we build. This is how we serve. I was thinking about some people in this church last week. Boy, I, I think he's most probably still out doing the car park. Are you here, boy? Is he still out doing the car park? A dentist out there serving. I worked it out. When we were at the North School, we used to put these chairs out every week. Do you remember these? Stack. I worked it out that Boyer, and sometimes he had the team with him, he did that nearly 100,000 times. We've got a great youth work and a great children's ministry here. We really have. I, I, I said to Debbie Burgess, who, 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 leads a, who led the youth work, I said, Debbie, how many years were you doing the youth work? She went, ooh, this is a through text this week. He said, I think it's seven years. And I said, I texted back, well, why, why, why did you do it? How did you manage? She says, it's ultimately, despite any challenges, it's easier to serve when you know who you are doing it for. You see, it's built on serving. This is Jesus. You see, we talk about the presence of God, and rightly so, but I, I got a hunch that when we serve as Jesus did, sacrificially, the presence of God comes. I really, I really believe, believe that. You see, we've got a great children's ministry, and it will get even greater and bigger. And Becca Cole, sometimes it's a moment for people, because I know Paul would write, he commend certain people. I said to Becca this morning, how long were you doing the children's, leading the children's work? She said, since 2000, she said, 17 years. Now, I know during a lot of that time, Becca would come in, wouldn't you, Becca? And this staff meeting says, I don't know how we're going to staff it next week. I don't feel called to do this. But she says, I'll do it because of Jesus. That is awesome. And not only that, we were, we were aware, because you were serving so, so sacrificially, James had to do so much extra because it's a team. That's how the church is. This is the foundation of this church, and any church will follow Jesus. And so as we look into the next 20 years, that foundation will grow bigger and bigger. It will. It will grow bigger and bigger. So Boye is now graduated to doing car park duty. <laughs> this makes a change from drilling teeth in the week. That's how... The church grows. There was um, I knew a very gifted young man. 
he was a very good speaker. Um, this is not here, so I can say this. And um, he was very, very keen to have more and more mic time because he had got a gift. And we went away. We took all the, this group of leaders away and young people away to a centre park event. And we said, for the weekend, you get a chalet. And um, not once did I see this young man serve or help out. Not once. He sat there waiting to be served. And I thought, this is dangerous. Because if this is not as important, as if this has got to be more important than this, or equal importance. And I said, the thing is, the problem is with you, because sometimes discipleships, it means speaking the truth in love. I said, you'd sooner pick up the microphone than the tea towel. And I thank God for this church. Because it's built on the foundation of Jesus as one who came to serve and not to be served. We walked through the crowds on Friday night. I didn't hear anybody. This is, and the people were coming away. Like, it was fantastic. And the serving that people did. Thank you. And on Saturday morning, I saw two guys, two widowers in our church who've lost their wives in the last two years coming down and sweeping all the leaves up in the car park. And they were having such fellowship. such fr It goes beyond friendship. It went to fellowship as they sat over coffee and talked. And that's something unseen. We take for granted. We drive in part of the car. It's looking very nice. Thank you very much. I'm saying this. is we're gonna, we, we, em we all embrace this, not because it's a good thing to serve, but because Jesus modelled it. You get me? Because if we get this, all of us, and I think, to be, to be honest, we can let go of the towel and get, take a step back. But I think we miss out because we're encountering Jesus when we serve one another and people encounter Jesus through us. Now, if you're, if you're new here, you're thinking... Oh, well, this sounds interesting. It's more than interesting. This is how Jesus did it. <laughs> it's how Jesus served. And he said to them, you've got to love, you've got to do this new commandment. You see, is this a new commandment? Does it, does it rule out the previous commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. And as you say, no, for yourself. He's not talking about, he's talking about the, the eleven. He's talking this to the, the embryonic church. This is my command, new commandment to you. This is a bit different. It's a higher thing. You are going to love one another as I have loved you. And church, I don't only believe it might be possible. It is possible because you are doing it. And I, you know, it's just, Jesus, I believe in my, all of my heart, Jesus is commending this church the way you are serving. It's precious. And not only that, we, rightly so, we want to keep emphasising discipleship. But what are we discipling people in? What's the best thing we can disciple people in is to model it. We used to do the PA. Um, I haven't got time to tell you how we manage the PA at the North School and at the uh, Stur Centre. But there are a few people did it a, lot, a long, long time. And one of them was John Budd. You've got John and Margaret. John and Mary, and others uh, serving. 
I went to give my notes for the projection team in the back. I couldn't find, I couldn't find, don't even know where it is now. It's down in that little cupboard there. And there was John Budd with three young guys discipling them, training them how to surf. That is, this is a church. This is how it is. And it's a safe place. It's a safe place to belong and to serve. John observed this. He wrote it down. And later on in life, the Apostle John, they believed he was, he, um, was at Patmos, but he was also at Ephesus. People come to John and say, give us some more deep, give us deeper teaching because you were with the master. And he would say, brethren, just love one another. And they say, no, come back up again and say, no, please, give us some, something far more profound. And he would just say, just love one another. Ball down, this is it. We love one another and we see the need and get involved. And John modelled that. He discipled people. There was a man, some of you may know, called Polycarp. It meant, the name Polycarp, it means much fruit. And he emerged to be a fantastic early church father. And it was said of Polycarp that uh, his main thing was love one another. I just want to conclude by reading Philippians 2, verses 1 to 7, because this encapsulates everything that I've been saying. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi to lay a foundation again. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholehearted with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he came and showed us what you were like. You are the God who serves. And we pray, Lord, as this church grows and grows and grows and pushes through, that the very heart of Jesus to serve would continue and thrive and grow even more. In your name we ask it. Amen. Thanks.